We're, we're returning to Genesis today. Uh, Emma, do you want to come up? And uh, Emma's going to read our, our passage for today. Um, so I'm reading from Genesis 11, um, beginning at verse 27 and going all the way through to the end of chapter 12. This is the account of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in awe of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Ishkah. Now Sarah was barren. She had no children. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarah, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham, Abraham left, and the Lord, had, as the Lord had told him, and, went, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At the time the Canaanites were in the land, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills, hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued towards Negev. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maidservants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarah. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me, he said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Uh, let's pray. Father, we... We are so grateful to you for all that you're doing among us in our lives. And, and Father, I'm so grateful for your word that feeds us uh, day by day and week by week. Uh, and Lord, we never tire of, of the food of your word. And 
same way we never tire of food. We, we eat to live, to grow, to be strong, and we hear your word to live, to grow, and to be strong. So speak to us now, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I really enjoyed the, the weekend, um, and uh, in my head it was all about God building us together as a people uh, for a purpose, and that God has a purpose for his church, um, and a part of that purpose is, is in the relationships of the church, and part of that purpose is in the mission of the church, um, and God is, yes, he's doing both at the same time, but for us at the moment, it's particularly about the relationships. It's particularly about building uh, the people. And uh, sometimes we can think, oh, you know, when are we going to get to missions and all that type of stuff? Um, uh, but, you, you, you know, there's an element where you need to grow up and be strong enough to do that. You can't just, you can't just go and do that. And, and so it's really interesting that where we're in the story of Genesis is we come to Abraham. And, uh, I don't, and over the next few weeks, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Abraham, uh, a journey of faith, which is really the account of Abraham. Now, if you've been with us over, well, probably since the beginning of the year, since we've been looking at Genesis, we, we looked at creation and Cain and Abel and Noah and Babel. And, and we saw, if you remember right back at the beginning, that, that we, we described the Bible as a faith book. And we saw that the world was created by a father. It wasn't just created by a God. Yes, he's God, but he's a father who is in heaven who created the world. And that we were made in his image, but sin comes into the world in the form of pride. And you'll know the story. It is pride that causes the fall in the garden, and it's pride that causes the fall at Babel. Judgment comes on both of those because of pride. God speaks to Noah, and he begins again. And at the end of the story of Noah, uh, God promises, I'm never going to destroy the earth again. I'm never going to judge the people in that way. Now, the story of Abraham marks a change in the Bible. I don't know whether you're aware of that. Genesis 1 to 11 talks about the big picture, the story of God. It talks about numerous generations uh, of people meeting with God. The next, and that's the first 11 chapters. The next 39 chapters in Genesis only cover four generations. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And not only does it only cover those four generations, it's the story of those people that makes up the rest of the story of the Bible, particularly the Old Testament. And it's really important that we understand it because what we understand when we understand that is God was always about a people. He was never just about this general thing of trying to reach everyone all over the place randomly. He was always into a people, a group. He began with Abraham and he, he worked into Abraham and his family. And it was from his family that he begins to build something. Yeah? And that's really important because so often as Christians in the 21st century, we think, well, I'm a Christian, you're a Christian, I've got my mission, you've got your mission, but actually God has his mission and he calls us to be part of it together. That's really important that you understand that, that it's about a people and Genesis 12 marks the change. It marks the moment where God uh, focuses down. He, 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 sort of, he sort of focuses in on one person. And he begins to build, uh, you know, he begins his work there. He begins his mission and his purpose. He focuses. And, we, and we're going to be looking at that. We're going to be looking at Abraham, his journey, and his relationships. We'll look at Sodom and Gomorrah. We'll look at Isaac. We'll look at the story of Hagar and Ishmael. 
The focus is this one man. God makes some mighty promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they become the promises of the Bible. They become the promises. You can read about them, not just in Genesis. You read about them in Psalms and in Isaiah. You read about them in Acts. They're repeated, the promises that God makes to Abraham to form a people. The whole of the Old Testament is about that people, the people of Israel, which originally come out of Abraham. And it's important that we understand it. And still today, God blesses people through his people, the church. So he's still doing the same thing. He's still about forming together a people. It's not about lots of individuals doing their own thing. It's not about the size of the needs in the world. It's about God forming a people through whom he will dwell by his spirit. So I'm just going to make a couple of uh, sort of just really simple observations on, on, on just that Abraham passage that was read. Unlike others, we don't get any description of what Abraham is like. Yeah? Abraham is just introduced... Terah, his, his father, is introduced. They, they go on a journey. They get as far as Haran. They settle there. Um, and then God speaks to Abraham. Unlike Noah, when God spoke to Noah, he said, it tells us that Noah was a righteous man. It doesn't say that about Abraham. It doesn't call him righteous. It doesn't, it doesn't call him anything. It says that he comes from a place of, called Ur of the Chaldeans. There have been historical excavations in the last hundred years that have uncovered sites and artifacts that relate to the period Abraham was born in. He lived some 4,000 years before Christ. And in the area that he grew up, people worshipped the moon. They were moon worshippers. So, so we're not talking about God created Abraham and Abraham grew up in a Christian family and then he, God called him out because he was all doing lots of things. Abraham was a pagan. He was a moon worshipper. Yeah, other people worship trees and they worship the grass and they worship the sun and they worship the rain. But in his place, they worship the moon. And they, they had a little mountain, a little hill where they built a statue to the moon. And that was Abraham. His family, and even when they moved to Haran, that, that's what they did. I mean, some people argue, oh no, maybe Abraham had some residue um, sort of belief in God. But the, the scriptures don't tell us that. The scriptures tell us that he came from a place full of paganism. And yet God speaks to him. And there's a contrast. There's a couple of contrasts between how God speaks to Abraham and how God deals with Babel. You remember the story of Babel? In Babel, the people say, let's make a name for ourselves. When God meets Abraham, he says to Abraham, I will make your name great. It's very different. I will make your name great. In Babel there was punishment for the pride of the people who were building a tower to God. And with Abraham, and, and at that, that punishment, that judgment, resulted in the scattering of the people. If you remember when Dan talked about it, the very thing they didn't want, they got, which was to be scattered across the face of the earth. And yet with Abraham, God makes a promise of blessing to all nations. It's very different. So God calls Abraham, and, and that call has sort of three uh, aspects to it. Firstly, he's, he's called to leave. Leave his country, his people, and his household. If, in effect, to leave everything he had known. 
everything that was him, he was being called to leave. Secondly, he was called to go to a place I will show you. So he's not even told to go to a particular place. There was no point in Abraham, Abraham having a sat-nav. We just got a sat-nav. We still don't quite know how to use it, so it doesn't take us anywhere. Um, but Abraham, he didn't need a sat-nav because he didn't know where he was going. He couldn't put in a postcode and say, you know, oh, SW60. It, didn't, it wouldn't have made any sense. God said, go to a place I will show you. Thirdly, God tells him what will happen if he obeys this call. And you've got to remember, Abraham's a pagan. He's not thinking about the living God. He's worshipping the moon. He's a pagan, and then God speaks to him and says, look, if you do this, if you go there, I'll make you into a great nation. I'll make your name great. You will be a blessing. He makes a promise of divine protection of offspring and of land. Sometimes when we think about the story of Abraham, we can think it's all about missions. So Abraham, for some people, is a theology of missions. Abraham was called to go, people will say. So we are called to go. But actually, the issue wasn't that Abraham was called to go. The issue more was that Abraham was called to leave something behind and to follow God. He's called to leave something and to follow something. Yeah, That took faith for Abraham because Abraham is in a place with land. He's got a bit of land. He's got his wife. He hasn't got any children, but he's got a little, little place. And God says, I want you to leave that behind and I want you to follow me. I want you to come my way. That isn't about Christians going on mission. That's about obedience and trust. Much more about obedience. It's much more about trust. Abraham was asked to leave his culture, his people. We're all called to leave something behind to follow God. If you haven't left anything behind to be a Christian, you're probably not a Christian. You're all called. We're all called to leave something behind to follow God, to trust him and to embrace the call he has for our lives. What that sacrifice is for each of us will be different, but if you truly follow, it will cost. If you truly follow him, it will cost. It will hit you somewhere. It will take something to do it. Why does God call Abraham? He makes a covenant with him to bless all people through him. One of the reasons he did that was God's purpose was to reveal himself to the world through this relationship. It was to reveal himself to the world through this relationship. He wanted people to know what he was like. He wanted people to understand what he was like as, as God, the God who created things. It says in Isaiah 60, through you they will know I am the Lord. It talks about they will know my words. It talks about that in Romans 3. The revelation of himself comes through this covenant. When Abraham agrees to follow God, it gives God this opportunity to show himself to people. The world will know what he's like through his relationship. And the world not only will know what he's like, the world will be blessed because of it. And it begins with Abraham, this promise, and the culmination of that promise of blessing and of displaying who he is ultimately culminates in Jesus. How do we know what God is really like? We see Jesus. Yeah? Jesus is the exact representation of the Father's glory. When you see Jesus living on earth, it's like seeing God. 
Abraham wasn't quite the same, but it was the beginnings of that process of seeing what is God really like. And us understanding what God is really like is really important because sometimes we don't understand what God is like. We think God needs a helping hand. It's interesting, Ruth talked about um, learning to trust God. We will learn to trust God more and not do things for ourselves. When we do things for ourselves, it's because we're not sure that God, God, I'm not sure you've got this. Yeah, this is us and the art. I think you just need a helping hand, God, don't you? You've not found me a partner, so maybe I need to find myself a partner. You've not given me a job, maybe I need to go and get myself a job. You've not, you've not sort of shown me, um, you know, all these things you told me, God, they've not happened. Maybe I need to now make them happen. That's how we think. That's, that's natural. But what, what God is doing through Abraham, he's showing us what he's like. It's a covenant that he makes. And it was almost like God said of Abraham, do you know what, Abraham? I'm going to show the world what I'm like through you, through you, regardless of what you're like. It doesn't matter what you're like. I'm going to demonstrate. One of the things I will show to the world is I'm faithful. That's what the world will see through my relationship with you is that I am faithful. God's call to Abraham was sheer divine grace. It's almost like Abraham is wandering along, in the, maybe in the fields of Haran, he's wandering along, and God comes and taps him on the shoulder and says, Abraham, leave your, father, leave your country, leave your household, leave your family, and go to a place that I will show you. It was divine grace. Abraham hadn't done anything. There's no indication that he was on his knees, that he was worshipping, that he was seeking, that he was searching. Nothing. Maybe he was worshipping the moon at that moment. Maybe, he, have you ever seen Button Moon? There's programs about the moon, little kids' programs. I'm not saying they worship the moon, but maybe Abraham was on his face worshipping the moon when God speaks to him, the living God. Do you know what's wonderful about that? Is it tells us that, that God is much... It, it, we sometimes think that God only loves Christians and he only saves you if you're a Christian. Or maybe if you grow up with sort of religious... Oh, no, my friends, they're not like that. They're not really religious types, so I don't, don't really invite them. What this tells us is God saves people who have no thoughts of him whatsoever. He saves people and he has, met, he has a mission for people who, who worship things absolutely nothing to do with him. Why? Because he's the living God who created the world. He created everyone. It wasn't just that he created... God didn't just create Christians and he's trying to persuade other people to become like Christians. God created all people. So if people are open to him... They can, be, they can respond to him. Abraham, a moon worshipper, a pagan, an idolater, was open. And as a result, God meets him, arrests him, and it's sheer grace. And you can watch it in Abraham's relationship with God. What you see is grace. Because it's almost like he's tapped me on the shoulder and he's basically told me, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you into a nation. You're, you, you're going to be a blessing. Why me? What, what did I do? What did I do? Well, he didn't do anything. And as I said, his purpose was to show the world what he was like. People who came into contact with Abraham would come into contact with God. Through his relationship with Abraham, we learn the importance of worship. Because there's two occasions. There's one occasion that, that um, Emma read where Abraham builds an altar. He worships. Yeah? Worship became something that he did. 
we learn the importance of prayer. Did you realize prayer's right there in the Old Testament? In Genesis, it says that Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. We still call upon the name of the Lord. We still worship the Lord. We see the importance of faith. Do you know what? For God to be known, you need to believe in him. You can't know him any other way other than to believe in him. Belief is the key thing. You have to believe in him. It tells us that in Hebrews, but it tells us that here. Because what do we read about Abraham in the New Testament? That that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed him. How much do we believe him? He chose him. We also learn from the story of Abraham and God that God is faithful and able to do what he says. And we know that because, because we know that what God promised to Abraham, he fulfilled. Abraham was a blessing. Everyone who came into contact with him was blessed. He has blessed all the nations through, through that very process. We know that God is faithful and we know that God is able to do all that he says he will do. You see, God, again we see, God is interested in the small, personal and practical things of life. And you see that, you'll see that as we go through the story of Abraham, you'll see that God is interested. Some of us don't take small, personal, practical things to God. Oh, God's not interested. God's interested in the big things. He's interested in healings and he's interested in gifts whether I speak in tongues or whether I, I, I'm prophesying. He's not interested in whether, my, you know, whether I'm nervous about my interview. So is he really interested in that? Is he really in, interested in how I feel about that relationship? Is he really in? Oh, no, I can't, do, I, can't, I can't bother God with those things. I'll bother God with the big things. No, the story of Abraham, you'll see, will show you that God is interested in every area of life. His blessing of Abraham was not based on the fact that I'm going to bless you spiritually, Abraham. You're going to struggle practically, but I'm going to bless you spiritually, so you'll be okay. No, he blesses him in every way. What you find, though, with Abraham is you find the faith and the fear. Abraham was a man of faith, but he was also a man of fear. You see, Abraham's faith didn't begin strong. Sometimes we just think, oh, Abraham, he's the man of faith, isn't he? He believed God, he's the man of faith. But actually, his faith didn't begin strong. He obviously obeyed God right at the beginning. He, he, he leaves the place. He goes to the place that God will show him. He worships God. But he ends up going to Egypt. But it doesn't tell us that God sent him to Egypt, but he goes to Egypt, and in Egypt, he puts in jeopardy the very promises of God. Because he leaves the land that God had taken him to and he, he almost gives away his wife. And why does he do that? He's fearful. Yeah? Abraham is fearful. That's why he says to Sarah, look, you're a bit of a looker, Sarah. When we go to Egypt, do you know what? We're just going to have to play this slightly differently because I don't want them coming at me. So can you just, can you just protect me here? You know, if, if, if they're good to you, then they'll be good to me. If they, you know, so can't we do that? That's fear. Abraham is driven at this point by fear. There are things that happen in Abraham's life that had they happened at that point, things that happen later, had they happened at that point, he would not have been able to handle them. You see, faith is something that grows. 
It grows in you. God doesn't just plant faith in you and suddenly, oh, I'm a man of faith now. I believe everything. No, you don't. Faith is something that grows. It's something that develops. There are, there are things that you're doing now that you would not have done a few years ago because you didn't have faith. Let me tell you, we, uh, when we left Kings and we came here, that was a bit of a faith step. And it wasn't a faith step that we were cho- <laughs> necessarily there, oh, yippee, faith. We weren't doing that. Well, Pauline wasn't doing that, certainly. I was doing that a little bit more, but faith is something that grows. And we see in the story of Abraham how his faith grows. First of all, we see fear when he's in Egypt. There's, there's a bit of fear there. He puts everything in jeopardy. But what had God promised? God said, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. So even though Abraham responded with fear, God still blesses him. Why? Because he said, I'm going to bless you. I am going to bless you. And it's almost like he didn't, he didn't do you believe it? If, if God says that to you, I'm going to bless you. Like, well, really? Do I need to do anything? What do I need? What do I need to do? Sometimes we can think like that. So even when he's in Egypt, God takes the opportunity to show to Abraham his faithfulness and his kindness. And he actually leaves Egypt more wealthy than he arrives there. God blesses him. God, Abraham's faith has to grow in order that he can go through all the, all the things that God's going to take him through. His faith has to grow. God uses life situations and relationships to help Abraham's faith grow and also to show Abraham that he is both faithful and able. And he does the same for you. He uses life situations and he uses relationships in order to help your faith grow and to show you that he is faithful and he is able. The question is, do you believe that? Do you actually believe that? So briefly, what, what, what can we learn? Just, just talk very briefly about this story of Abraham. The first thing that I think we can learn, and for me it's really important we learn, God chose a people. He chose Abraham. He chose a family. The family became a people. He, he then worked on that people. And, and had you been a member of, if you had been part of the people of Israel, you might have thought to yourself, I don't know why, you know, why God's not doing that same stuff with the Canaanites. He seems to have chosen us. Why has he chosen us? And the danger is you begin to think, well, maybe there's something about us. Maybe there's something about being Israel that makes God want. No, God even says to them, doesn't he? He says, look, don't, don't get it wrong. I didn't choose you because you were anything special. I chose you because I'm gracious, not because you're good. Yeah? So sometimes we can think to ourselves, oh, you know, oh, God, you know, okay, I'm a Christian, but what about all these other people? The first thing you must understand is that you were chosen out of grace. You weren't chosen because you were good or because you, you grew up in a Christian home and your parents prayed for you and you went to the Downs or any sort of Bible. You weren't chosen for those reasons. Yeah? Just like God reached out to Abraham and Abraham responded. God reaches out to people and people respond to him. It's about people. He works with a people to bless those people and to cause others to be blessed through those people. Secondly, it's sheer grace, as I said. God calls people whilst they are unbelievers and pagan idol worshippers. 
and it tells us that the Christian faith is not cultural. It's not based on the fact that, well, if you, you know, the Western culture, they're a bit like that, or the Eastern culture, they're a bit like that. No, it's nothing to do with that. God chose a pagan to become the father of the nations, to have a relationship with him. And through him, we have a relationship with God. It's sheer grace. And then the question, how grows your faith? How grows your faith? You see, God worked through Abraham, and, you, and we'll see that over the weeks, how God works through him. He uses the circumstances, the situations, the people to teach him about his faith and how to grow in his faith, to teach him about obedience. How grows your faith? Are you believing him more? Or do you believe him less? One of the ways you can work that out is what you're doing. Are you trying harder? Are you more busy? Are you driven by needs? Oh, I've got, I've got to do it. There's a need out there. There's a world out there to be saved. I know, I know there's a world out there to be saved. But the way to save the world isn't for me to get really busy. Do you know what? I, don't, I just don't have that much energy. I can't really save the world on my own. Not even Superman did that. How grows your faith? In the end, Abraham fulfilled a mighty promise of God, and it was all because of what God did in him. It was nothing to do with what Abraham did. The few occasions we will see where Abraham tried it on his own, it didn't work. It never worked. When Abraham did it himself, it never worked. It never happened. It only never happened when he allowed God to carry out his purposes. Now, that seems the opposite of the way we live. Because we're activists, we're doers, we're bright. Some of us are bright and intelligent people. Yeah? We can take initiative, we're leaders, we do things. Yeah? And sometimes it's almost like we take God's hand and say, come on, God, I'm busy carrying out your work. Yeah? What he really asks of you is he asks you this question, how grows your faith? How grows your faith? How much are you trusting me? Or how much are you doing yourself? It's, the, it's, the big, it's one of the biggest issues we face as Christians, is that we do stuff, and we don't let him do stuff. Yeah? Now, in other cultures, it's easier to let him do stuff, because you've got nothing to, you, there's nothing. Yeah? So in some cultures, my friend who's a, a, a Ghanaian pastor, he said, oh, yeah, when people got sick, we had to pray. There was no <coughs> doctors, there was no hospital, or it was two hours away. So prayer became, that was all we could do. It wasn't that, and whereas here it's like, oh, it's the big faith thing, I'm praying. But actually, I'm going to go to the doctors tomorrow. So just you know, covering both points. Now, I'm not knocking the fact that we go to doctors, I'm not knocking the fact that we pray, but I'm saying that it's about faith. Yeah? The Christian life, bottom line, it's about faith. It's a journey of faith. How grows your faith? Can you handle more now than you could a year ago, or are you handling less now? Are you more independent now than you were? Are you believing the promises of God? Are you holding them in your heart? Are you bringing them back to him? Or are you trying to work them out? Now, I know the Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, Owen. Come on. But more than that, more than working out your faith with fear and trembling, it's working out your faith through trust and obedience. Much more than that. It really, really matters how you do it, how you run the race, how you make it work. The greatest lesson we learn as Christians is to trust God when our natural tendency is to do things ourselves. 
we're so often driven by the needs we see and the desires that we have. Yeah, I'm driven by needs. I'm driven by desire. I'm tempted. Oh, I need to do something. When sometimes it's not what I do that matters. It's, oh God, I need to come back. You've, you, you've spoken. So Abraham returns again and again. God reminds us of the promise. I'll bless you. you you'll be a blessing. It's not, it's not what you're going to do. It's what I'm going to do. Why is that so important? Because actually the glory in the end is his. And if you achieve stuff through your effort, it's really difficult not to take a tiny bit of the credit. Not to sort of let people know, do you know what? Yeah, I was behind that. Yeah, no, no, God, yeah, God, but you know. Yeah, we're all a bit like that. I'm a bit like that. How can I weave in what I did? Yeah, whereas if you, if you wait for him, then there's no credit. Yeah, there's no credit. Because you know, you know that your biggest battle is just, oh, I'm just following. Yeah, God is very, very capable of fulfilling his purposes through the world. He's been doing it for centuries. I know for me, just one of the big things that came out of this passage was this whole idea of grace. I'd never thought of Abraham and grace before. I'd never thought that God had chosen this man, this pagan, this idolater, and had plucked him out and said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. And through you, I'm going to bless the world. I'd never thought, man, that's grace. He didn't deserve that. This is what it said in the commentary that I was, I was working through. Our God is a God of grace. If we desire to be like him, we need to go beyond being people who are saved by grace to those who are characterized by grace. Then we will make an impact on our world. And through us, all the nations of the world will be blessed. The world thirsts for grace. And when grace descends, the world falls silent for it. Grace is one of the most amazing characteristics of God. Yeah? It means that you sit there, I stand here, and it's not about a performance. It's not about I made it a 7 out of 10 today, I did well. It's about the fact that I trust him, I believe in him, and that you trust him, and that you believe in him. And so for some of us, it, it's good that we've been reminded of this. Because you need to go back, you need to look at your life, you need to look at your career, you need to look at your pursuits, and you need to go, God, do you know what? I want my faith to grow. Because actually when I trust you, I don't worry so much. When I trust you, I, I do less, I pray more. Yeah? I want to stay in that place where I'm trusting. Yeah? And, and I, when I say that, I'm saying that to me. Yeah? I want to stay in that place where I'm trusting, where I'm not just trying to do Let's pray together. Why don't we stand and we're just going to pray. We're going we're to finish. It's a really simple thing. And, you know, the story of Abraham in, in some ways is a really, really simple story. It, it, it's a man who walked with God. He journeyed with God. God found him. God arrested him. God called him out. And his faith began to grow. <coughs> Small steps at first. But it grew and it grew and it grew. And I want to pray that 
that your faith grows, that my faith grows, and that our faith grows. Yes. That we as a church will be able to handle more than we can imagine we can handle because we're growing. How grows our faith? How grows our faith? That actually we don't need to be activists doing as much as we can. We need to be the followers, those who trust, those who look to, those who believe him. Just for a moment, why don't you just pray your prayer and just say, God, I trust you. Maybe there's a very specific situation you need to bring to him right now. I want you to bring it to him. That area you know that you're trying your best. And actually, your best isn't good enough. Uh, And what you need to do is you need to redirect your focus to him. And let him try his best on your behalf. So just, just begin to pray. Just name things to him. Name things before him right now. Take this moment this opportunity that I'm going to pray. Just give us a chance to pray. Father, this morning we do, we do come to you. We are so grateful. I'm just so grateful for your word, God. I'm just so grateful for a story like Abraham. I'm so grateful for the example that he is to us. I'm, I'm so grateful that, that we can look back and go, do you know what, God, you, you fulfilled your promise to Abraham. Yeah, he, he was a blessing. He was the father of nations. He, he himself may not have seen all of that, but he was that. You, you were faithful to the very end to him. And we are the recipients of the grace that was poured onto his life. And so we thank you for that, God. And, and Father, I pray that, that even here where, where many of us have weak faith, I pray that you would grow our faith. Yes, God. I pray we would become less active and more followers. I pray, God, that we would become those that trust you, that though we see needs, oh God, our initial response is, oh, I've just got to get involved. But Lord, our response is to come to you, oh God, that we're to pray, we're to seek your face. We're to recognize, no, God is faithful, and more than that, he is able. Yes. We thank you that you are both faithful and that you are able. And Father, I pray for any here who maybe they've got situations that they're working through. They're trying really hard. They're trying their best. Oh, God, I pray that today they would come to that place of rest and peace, knowing God is able. Yes. It's not about my efforts. It's not about what I can do. God is able. And Father, I pray that for myself. I pray in those areas you know that I would, I would rest in the fact that, no, you're, you're carrying it, but you're doing your great work. Yes. And yeah, you may get us caught up in it, but that's a grace act. Yes. It's not because you need me. Right. It's not because I bring something particularly special. It's, it's grace. And so I thank you for that, Lord. And Father, I pray that this week we will remember Abraham. Help us to remember Abraham. Help us to remember the question, how grows my faith? How grows my faith? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.